Welcome to the Paradise Paradox. So I'm going to present the second part of this interview that I did with my friend, Dr. Aidan Gregg, talking about psychopathy, sociopathy, and his idea of a poco curante, which is somebody who just doesn't care about anything, someone who doesn't care about the truth, about other people, about the future, even about themselves in the future. So it's a different way to draw the lines about what we think about as psychopaths and the different kinds of ways that they relate. So people who care about the truth, but don't care about the future and this kind of thing, the different variations on the theme that are possible. I'd love it if you check out our other podcast, the Multiversity Podcast, which launched the other day with my friends. Check out the website, multiversitypodcast.com, and you can listen to some of the episodes there. We talk about philosophy, entropy, physics, theater, and improvisation, and a bunch of other things. I think it's going to be really interesting for people if you've been following the Paradise Paradox for a while. It's a way for me and my friends to take things to another level with our research and our discussion. So check that out, multiversitypodcast.com. Now, let's get into this conversation with Dr. Aiden Gregg. I'm sort of embarking on my own research program on identity and psychopathy. But I, I've thought about it a little bit. The way people are approaching it at the moment is say, okay, we have these traits which we can measure psychometrically and we can quantify people's standing on it. And then we can see how all these traits intersect with each other. But as for the reasons I've given, it's very hard to come to an absolute answer about what's going on there. So my approach is to try and characterize psychopaths or people in that domain um, in, a sli- in a slightly different way. And there's no reason not to. Maybe, for example, historically, the categories we're using are not the best categories. So maybe we should just let them go and sort of redraw the circles from scratch. So that's, that's sort of the way I've been, I've been thinking about it. Um, so I have this idea of uh, poco curante, which, which you mentioned at the beginning. So that's um, the word was used in a book by Voltaire, but a poco curante means not caring very much. Now, this has clearly already been used to characterize psychopaths, most notably when it comes to empathy. Psychopaths don't care about other people. They show a lack of remorse, a lack of guilt. Um, they are prepared to do things most people are not prepared to do. And many people have tried to say, well, that's maybe the essence of it. They just, they're not very friendly. They're very disagreeable and nasty. And look, uh, when we characterize their brains, we know bits of brains light up when people are, are feeling nice or they're, they're engaging in moral reasoning. And yeah, some studies show differences between psychopath brains and regular brains. Mm-hmm. Um, so actually, one line of research uh, on this is by a guy called Kent Kyle. He's a book called The Psychopath Whisperer. So what he's done is he brings a whole bunch of psychopaths into his uh, lab and he does brain scans of them. And then he takes the average of the brain scans 
Okay. The idea is that this will clarify what parts of the brain are different in psychopaths and regular people. So his finding is that, okay, in the brain, you've got your limbic system, which is sort of in the middle of your brain, and it does all the emotion stuff. And also it's a relay station for the direction of information through your senses to other parts of your brain. That's the limbic system. So it's sort of the emotional brain. Um, but around the limbic system, you think all the uh, paralimbic system. And that interfaces between the limbic system and the rest of the brain. So what Kyle finds is that um, that is not as pronounced in psychopaths as regular people. So it's almost like they, ha they have the emotional stuff, but it's not interfacing with the rest of the brain as much. And there's some characterization of what's, what's going on there. Um, so that, that disjunction may be, you know, the thing that's, 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 uh, that's going on. Um, so it's like they're feeling it, but, they, but it doesn't key into the rest of their being. Yeah, I, I actually think that there's, there's something here that's been underdeveloped, in my view, on, in the literature on psychopathy, which is this disjunction. Um, so if you go back to Tleckley's book, he's talking about these case histories of psychopaths. Um, he finds they talk a very good game, but they don't live a very good game. Um, so they don't seem to be able to match up with their words. And many, many psychopaths or people in that domain, um, you know, people like Kahneman, they talk a good game, and it's almost like they believe themselves. They, might, they at least semi-believe their own bullshit. That's probably why they're kind of convincing. So there have been some characterizations of the human mind divided into, say, the reflective system, reflecting your intellect and higher-order cognition language abilities, and your impulsive system, which is sort of directed towards uh, the satisfaction of goals or automatic behavior. Uh, so it's a little bit like the distinction between Freud's id and Freud's ego. Um, so I, I think what might be going on in psychopaths is that these systems are, are not really allied. So that would explain, for example, why they're impulsive. If they want to do stuff, their intellect, maybe they can say, well, yeah, I, I, I shouldn't do that. But it has no power to restrict, you know, the impulsive part of the brain. So the, the uh, two sorry, go back to, that, to those Freudian terms quickly. I, just, yeah. I think I remember what it is. I, ego is like your sense of self, and, and it is like how you think other people would think of you? Is that how? Is that what it is? Um, not quite. So the id no. is the repository of all the dark and devious and horrid drives Freud said we had. So ah, okay. sexual it's like the Jung Jungian shadow. Yes, that, that's yeah, correct. Okay. So that's, right. that's correct. So Jung, Jung's had a bunch of arch archetypes, but yes, the shadow, well, the shadow's a little bit more complicated, but for many people... Okay who are generally good, yes, the shadow would be like the repository of all these drives. So it just seeks satisfaction, operates on the basis of what's called the, the pleasure principle, uh, the id. Now, there's also the superego, which is sort of like the conscience. According um, <clears throat> to Freud, that's also semi-unconscious and is the result of, uh, some of some of the things that happened to you as a child. You, you develop a conscience uh, to resolve your Oedipus complex, he said. Now, you, you, could, you, could, you could simply say that, in fact, in, in psychopaths, they lack a superego and it's all id. Uh, that's, that's one way of looking at it. But the job of the ego was to sort of to make deals. It was kind of like a Donald Trump. It was always making deals between the id, the reality, and uh, superego. Uh -huh. So the, the, the ego operated on the basis of the reality principle. Uh, it was sort of logical. But it's like, you've got to, you, know, you want to satisfy these perverse desires. Uh, the superego is saying you can't. And meanwhile, the reality is saying, well, this is possible. 
right? So you've got this Donald Trump. He's, he's trying to he's trying to juggle juggle all these. You know, the it is like the deep state, right? Okay. <laughs> just, just, the super ego are the libertarians complaining about stuff. Uh, they're, they're the, gar- the garden variety uh, uh, Republicans or something like that. Um, <laughs> definitely pushing this analogy too far. But in any case, um, what's happening? Yeah. So one thought would be in psychopaths, they lack a super ego because they lack a conscience. But but the other possibility is they lack an ego, which allows them to strike a deal between the id and the super ego. So that's why a lot of them. A lot of them lead very um, your, your average psychopath, right? As opposed to your ev- evil mastermind, or even some of the more successful serial killers. Your average psychopath uh, leads a life that doesn't really go anywhere. They're often very feckless. Um, they're in and out of prison. They don't have a big life plan. They go from one job to the other. They're criminally versatile. You know, it's fraud one day and it's it's robbery the next, um, and they just go from one thing to the other. You know, nothing really adds up. So it's almost like they, they lack the capacity, like the ego, to put together a life plan and follow it through. Yeah, so that's, that's, that's what I think. I don't think it's so much a superego, which, which would go together with the, the view that, you know, they lack a conscience. Um, there is, probably is some of that. They're id-dominated. But I think the other thing is that the ego is just not adequately integrating them. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's what's going on, that like, that certainly is true. So that's, that's what uh, Kent. What would the fellow, What was the fellow's name? Kent. Yeah, uh, Kent Kyle was his name. Right. So that's so what his research implies. Yeah. Now I'm not sure he's saying that. He's he's just trying to characterize neural systems. Hmm. But to the extent that you have, you know, the the limbic system of the brain, and it's the part it, that that's not defective, but just the part that integrates it with the other parts of the brain. Um, in particular, the forebrain that's associated with moral reasoning and, and social and self-control and social regulation, um, then you have a problem. So some studies have shown a particular deficit in a part of the brain called the, 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 um, the ventromedial um, cortex, so uh, yeah, the, the, the back of the middle of the cortex. Okay. Um, so it's sort of underneath, underneath the, the, the frontal lobes. Um, so people have gone into these particular places and um, – they find when people have damage to them, they have specific social deficits. Um, and sometimes people do get a bang on the head or they, they have a brain tumor and they start behaving more, more psychopathic. Yeah, there's some, some interesting cases uh, along, along these lines. Um, but, but the point is, yes, it, it's not so much that like, something is, is knocked out, but that there's a lack of coordination between all the parts of the brain. That's maybe, maybe what the suggestion is. Now, the brain's very complicated. I wouldn't, you know, stake my life on this interpretation, but it's one possibility um, in terms of what's going on. But anyway, the Pocahontas concept is just to come back to it. Um, it's about not caring, uh, not giving two hoots, not giving a shit. Now that seems like not very sophisticated approach, but it seems to me you can ex- you can expand the notion of not giving a shit, not giving a damn, um, to other domains as well as people. Right, so if I don't, if I like empathy, I don't care about people. It's all the same to me. But I think psychopaths also don't care about the truth. Now, what does that mean? Well, why why tell the truth when you when you care about the truth, or you care about describing the world accurately? You're you're a true scientist, a true truth seeker, a true philosopher. What's going on? Well, what's going on is this: you say it doesn't matter what I think, 
It's what reality says. Right. I'll go with the evidence. I will follow the argument, which is I will defer. I will defer. Whatever, whatever reality says, I will agree with that. And that's, that's putting yourself really in a subordinate position in terms of reality. I think that's what reason is. Reason is, is deferring to reality. Now, it doesn't come naturally to a psychopath to defer to anybody, least of all reality, right? It's like, <laughs> that's very annoying. It's like it's felt as an imposition. But they don't really care about it very much. And that's why they lie. Because if you care about reality, it's, it's hard to lie. Hmm. You kind of feel committed to it in a certain way. If you care about other people, it's hard to mistreat them because you're kind of committed to them. Okay. So I think, and also this, this squares to the fact that typically people typically described as psychopaths are compulsive liars or pathological liars. They lie for the sake of it. Often not, not, not even instrumentally, but just, just for the sheer hell of it. And it's like, <laughs> why? You know? Now, sometimes we do that in a very sophisticated way. Like a magician is an interesting case. If you go to a magic show, you, en- you, is- you enter into a contract with a ma- magician to lie to you, but you kind of give your agreement. Right. It's similar to suspension of disbelief in the movie or the- It is similar yeah. to that. That's right. Yeah. And as you, fiction is a very important part of our life. Um, and and we, we, there's a lot more to be said on that score. But also reality is for the, for the average person. So I think that the Poco Curante person, as I'll call them, because I, I, I want a different word because I'm redrawing the lines. True, they, they lack empathy for people, but they also lack um, a respect for the truth. So the third thing is the future. Um, we don't have to care about the future, and in the long run, we're all dead, so it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to care about it too much. Uh, how much do we care about the future? Suppose I say, I'm going to give you a choice. You can have 100 pounds today, or 110 pounds tomorrow, which would you choose? 110 tomorrow, easy. 100 pounds today, 100, 110 pounds in 10 years. Uh, 100 pounds now, because that's... Okay. <laughs> so that makes sense yeah. uh, from the Austrian economics perspective. Of course it does, because you know there's a cost to waiting uh, to receive something. So at some point, you make, you make that, that trade-off. Hmm. But you can actually measure how much people care about the future by where they, where they draw that line, hmm. right? And psychopaths, or your Pocahontas, rather, people, they really prioritize the present over the future. Now, what's interesting, you might go, well, psychopaths are just selfish, but they're not even selfish. <laughs> they, they don't even prioritize their own futures because it's a problem with the future in general, not, not just other people's futures, um, but even their own future. That right. is why they're often feckless and they don't really get anywhere. So, so that's another thing you don't care about. There's that experiment where people people use it to test emotional intelligence, the marshmallow test, where they do it with children and seeing if the if That's another they, example of it, yeah. Yeah. If they'll take one marshmallow now or or two marshmallows in twenty minutes or something like that. So that might actually be predicting psychopaths at a young age. Right. So there's some people who've done research and they do find that how people behaved as, you know, young kids predicts their adjustment later on in uh, like 10 years later uh, in adolescence. So they have more problems if they can't um, defer gratification. So that's -hmm. called deferred gratification. There you you have uh, something to be consumed immediately and, and you're shown it, you know, right in your face, you know. 
um, in the examples I gave, you, you, you typically give money and it's more abstract. Um, but I think it's basically the same, same phenomenon. It does make sense to prioritize the present because the future is uncertain. There's a pain involved in waiting and so forth. Mm. Um, and indeed, uh, to want anything is to want it sooner rather than later. If I was perfectly indifferent as to when I received something, you could say I didn't really want it in the first place because it doesn't matter when I get it. To want something is have a bit of urgency, a little bit of urgency about it. Um, mm. But some people, it's very, very urgent. So for the polka karate person, um, they want to be satisfied sooner rather than later. Okay, now, here's an important point about, um, about being nasty. Okay, so I could be the sort of person who is, uh, I'm just a nice person. I like pleasing people. When I, when I do something for you and you're happy, it's like, oh, I like it. I enjoy that. Uh, it's very enjoyable to me. I'm just a people pleaser and that gives me my buzz. That gets my dopamine going. But I could be like that and I could be poco curante. Okay. So I'm the sort of person, I don't really care about you that much, but I do know when I do something for you and you're happy, it makes me happy. Um, <laughs> I could lie to everybody about how much I do for other people. Yeah. And I could really not care about the future that much. You know, I might... you could lie to people to make them feel good so you feel good. So I could, I could, my point here is I could have a nice id. My, my impulses, my fundamental impulses in life are actually pro-social. Um, I just, you know, the notion of sadism, it just doesn't get me going. You know, some, some people like torturing animals for fun, but, you know, I just, I just couldn't care less. I, I prefer to do other things that I prefer pleasing people. That's, that's just the way I'm made. But you could still be poco curante. You could still not really give much of a shit about the future or surprisingly, not even other people. Like you could help to please yourself, mm. um, and you could even lie about how much much you help. Now, okay, you could be a sadist, and now now we're really ta- now you're really getting into trouble, you know, because um, now I, yeah, I really like torturing people, uh, and I don't care about people, so that, that's uh, now we have a problem. And you don't care about the future, so you probably yeah. will end up in prison. <laughs> I, I probably will. That's exactly right. But the point is, Pokekarante doesn't assume what your motives are. Right. Whereas your, your stereotype, your psychopath is like, you know, obviously he's evil intense. He's a sadist. Um, he could be. And, you know, probably there's some correlation there. It's probably not completely independent. But I can say, okay, just to redraw the lines, you can have a nice personality, um, but still be Pokekarante. So, for example, some homeless people. Hmm. Um, what could be happening they could be very like something you can sit down and have a very decent conversation with a homeless person right uh, probably even the well certainly many right they seem like decent people um, some of them are unfortunate but some of them also lack the skills or the the constitution just, just to manage life and that could be because in some sense they're poco curante so for example if they don't really care that much about the future um, that might be one reason why they're on the street because they can't save, they can't make prudent decisions. Now, the other thing about the Pokekarante model is that the three domains where you don't care about, sometimes you can care about two, but not the other. So let's suppose I care about people, they're nice. I'm, I'm, I'm also, not, not only am I, you know, not a sadist, um, but actually I like other people and, and uh, you know, I, I'm able to commit to other people. Um, also, I tell the truth a lot. I'm committed to reality but there's one thing i'm not really committed to and that's the future i you know i just i'm, I'm a short-term thinker 
So you could imagine people who don't get far in life, whether they're homeless or not, um, just sort of drift, drifters, essentially, drifting through life. They just don't have a lifeline. They can't get it together. So they're a bit polka carante in that sense, and that explains it. They might not be polka carante in other senses, and they might have a good heart. Okay. Hmm. Now, the other reason I think this characterization is good is about characterizing evil people. Now, one view is that the more psychopathic you are, the more evil you are. So uh, Hare had this program on TV where he's like, he's characterizing the most evil people and he's like putting them on his checklist. And the more boxes you take, the more evil you are on the checklist. Yeah. Okay. So that's the politicians and the, the CEOs. Well, they're more evil. I think they're more evil, but they're not right. more psychopathic. They're less psychopathic. But according to Hare, oh, okay. So according to Hare, he would say they're less psychopathic. I think, I, no, well, not, well, if I had a chat with him, he might agree. Yeah. But that's actually my claim. Yeah. I, th- I think the stereotype is more evil, more psychopathic. Like the more hideous and evil it gets, oh, it's completely psychopathic. But I think that's, okay, maybe it is psychopathic, but it's not, that's why I want to redraw the circles and say poco curante. Mm-hmm. You're less poco curante if you're evil in the following way. So it's like, it's like the opposite, in fact, of the person I just described. Um, it's not like you're a drifter who's good hearted. You're the opposite. You are very committed to the future. You can plan. And possibly you've got, it really helps if you've got a high IQ. So you can see directly and immediately why it's to your advantage not to just have a short-term interest. You can imagine yourself easily some years from now. So IQ actually is positively correlated with um, valuing the future as against the present. Hmm. So if you're like that, but on the other two dimensions, you don't care about people and you don't care about the truth. I have a job for you. A job description, it's politician. You'd be perfect for this role. Yes, you can plan. You know, you're together. Like, you know, you're not, you're not neurotic. Um, you, can, you, can, you know, you can plot. You, you can scheme. You can, oh, maybe you get involved in a conspiracy of some sort. Great. <laughs> but we want to make sure that you lack empathy for other people. That's really important too. And, and also say whatever you want. It just can't be the truth. So the, the, your politician, he's... He's Pokirante on two out of the three dimensions. Yeah. But not all three. If he's all three, he wouldn't be a very good politician. He'd just crash right. and burn, right? <laughs> so so evil, is, evil is being less Pokirante in, 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 um, in two respects, but very Pokirante, sorry, very Pokirante in two, but not in one. And in in having that intact capacity. Uh, yeah. That's the plan of caring about the future. Yeah, but there is like a spectrum because a lot of politicians will care about their families, or at least it sure. seems like they do. Yeah. So yeah. they try to ensure their children's future and this kind of thing. But as for the world in general, yeah, you know, maybe what happens to them doesn't matter. Yeah, I think so. I think you bring up a very good point here. Um, so when you talk about the psychopath, um, you're talking about a general deficit. Um, so that you can't, really can't care about anybody except yourself. It's quite extreme. Um, but what about people with a touch of psychopathy? Hmm. Now, it turns out an, another important point you can make about psychopathy, indeed about all psychiatric disorders, is that they're all on a spectrum. One point of view is like, it's a type. There's a psychopath and the rest of us, and never the twain shall meet. And you sort of you call, cross this Rubicon, um, and it's like, there's, there's, a, you know, there's a hill here, normal people, and there's a valley, and there's a hill in the psychopaths. And uh, people often think 
many things are like that, including personality traits. You got your introverts and you got your extroverts. And in the middle, never the twain shall meet. But it turns out for nearly every psychiatric disorder, it's not like that. There aren't any types. And technically, these are called taxons. But when you do tests and look for taxons, you don't find them. Instead, you find a smooth distribution that's usually bell-shaped. So most people are more or less in the middle introversion and extroversion. There's a few people who are very extroverted, a few people who are very introverted. Most people are somewhere in the middle. Now, when it comes to these dark traits that we've been discussing, it's not a normal distribution because most people are not sort of semi-assholes. Well, <laughs> there are different points of view about that, right? But, but I, I, think, I think assholes are, are at least in the minority. Right. Um, severe, so people, severe case of assholes. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> I, I actually, I mean, I, I have no problem with these designations because they're useful at a certain level of analysis just to capture a whole bunch of a bunch of a bunch of things, you know. So, I, I think asshole is actually quite good. It, it doesn't doesn't characterize women very well. Um, there are other terms for that, obviously, but um, <laughs> as assholeness would cover, you know, generally being antisocial, you know, and and, and you, know, you you can see psychopathies being, you know, an exacerbation of assholery. Um. um yeah, so uh, I forgot what we're talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the general, the general point about, about continua. So yeah. the point is that only a few people have these, these extreme characteristics. Like, let's say sadism. Most people are not sadistic, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still continuous, right? You'll, you'll go up, you'll cover all the, the steps in between. There's, yeah, there is no a gap. A lot of people will have that schadenfreude. Schadenfreude, yeah. 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 But, you know, that's so true. That's, yeah. There's a level of that, a level of sadism. Yeah, so two points. First thing is just the level. The level is smooth. So you, you'll be working up to every, every graduation up to the psychopath and all this number of dimensions. Mm-hmm. So in terms of my model, there will be people who um, you know, care about people a lot, who don't care about people at all, and everything in between, same for the truth and same for the future. And these things will correlate, but they'll be somewhat independent. So there's no, there's no dividing line. Well, there's a, there's a divine line you can draw, like between day and night. There's a difference between day and night. But then when it's dusk and dawn, it's up to you to say when the day begins. Okay? We, have, we can say when the sun is rising, but in terms of the light, you know, there's so many things like that. It's, 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 just, it's just a continual problem. It's, 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 it's general. So you have, to, you have to draw a line, but there's nothing special about where you draw that line. You could draw it in many places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you're absolutely right. Um, when it comes to politicians, there'll be some who are very low in empathy, very high, and along all these, all these dimensions. Now, the other point you make, though, is that you're not talking generally. You're talking about different domains. You'll care about some things but not others. Hmm. So even the psychopaths like that, they will care about themselves more about others, although I don't think they even care about themselves into the future. But they will definitely care about me here now above you then there, Right. And the psychopath will do that, and everybody will do that to some extent. Very few people buy Christmas presents, you know, for their kids, uh, for, well, for their kids, but not for the kids next door, right? So we, we, will, we will have an in-group and an out-group, and some people are closer and some are f- further away. Some people say we shouldn't be like that. We should be completely indiscriminate, uh, sort of hardcore utilitarians like, like Peter Singer. Um, but most people think, no, it's, it's okay to be a little bit biased. So, yes, yeah, certainly... The, the Pocahontas uh, politician or the psychopathic politician will be biased, but that might also be an extension of themselves. Look, it's my trophy wife. It's my trophy kids. 
Um, you know, just just like I'm de- decorating my house, I'm going to decorate my kids. You know, right? Um, <laughs> well, it's a so still be still be still be very self-involved in that sense. Mm. Um, well, to to uh, tie it back to what we were talking about 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 three dimensions and four dimensions, you know, the the difference between third dimensional person imagining what it would be like for a fourth dimensional being it is kind of like that because a politician doesn't have that view of the future so it is like they're living in a slightly different world to us oh sorry a a psych a coco curante not a politician well it's it's fine it's uh (laughs) it's 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 the same rough territory just it's the same territory but just drawing circles in different areas it's not i don't think any it's only when something crucial hangs on it that um that it, that it matters, but we we can speak in general terms. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Um, Hans Hermann Hoppe in his book um, "Democracy: The God That Failed" makes the point that it's not just the constitution of the politician that matters, but the incentives. So the incentive in a democracy, since since the politicians don't own the country, their incentive is basically to get the most out of it while they're in power, um, at the expense of contributing to it. But if you were a monarch and you own the country or identified with the country, then even if even if you're narcissistic or psychopathic or poca curante, you might act in the best interest in the country because, well, hell, it's your country. Hmm. But for the psychopath, it's yeah. it's not their country. It's just and your children against their position as well. So right, yeah. and that's right. Um, again, the, the the complete psychopath isn't even going to care about their kids. But I, I have seen um, some even pretty hardcore psychopaths who do care, do care about their kids. Hmm. Um, so it can get, it can get kind of, it can get kind of subtle and, and, and complicated um, what you care about. The other point is that, and maybe this goes back to the surgeon example, is that it's not always good to care about things. Let's suppose there are evil people out there and they're coming to get you and your family. Um, but like all self-respecting libertarians, you're, you're armed and and you repel you repel these people for violating the non-aggression principle in your case. Um, um, maybe you should be pretty ruthless in putting them down because they you know you gave them every chance maybe to exist, but they didn't. They kept coming for you. And uh, yeah, you could be a bit psychopathic with respect to them. It, it, it wouldn't be appropriate to be empathic. Like now, people may differ on this. There are people who are say pacifists or people who believe in universal love. Uh, and maybe they might rankle at the suggestion that you know it's it's okay to have hatred in your heart some of the time. My view is that it is okay under some specific circumstances, not as a life choice. You know, <laughs> <laughs> develop develop hatred in your heart in three easy steps. No, um, <laughs> but under under certain conditions where there are people where there are essentially evil people trying to get you. Um, it would be okay to suspend sentiment under those circumstances. You should be you should be ruthless. And again, there are different 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 opinions on this. Some people are pacifists, and they say, "Look, you know, the fundamental nature of reality is love. You can't return hate with with hate." Hmm. Um, so, in, even if you're a libertarian, you believe you, sh- you shouldn't uh, initiate aggression. Even if people initiate aggression, you shouldn't return aggression back. So that's that's a pacifist principle. Yeah, that's a pretty weird position to take i know some some people actually like that but uh, they, are. they think what would you do if someone broke into your house you're just going to lay down and it's a, it kind of blows my mind <laughs> yeah i mean 
I think there's something to be said both ways. On, on the one hand, it is a little bit like being unduly submissive and sort of basically just cucking. And yeah. you're not really recognizing your own value if, if, you don't, if you do that. I mean, this is your house. This is your, your stuff. Yeah. Um, is it even your property if, if you don't show any sign of wanting to protect it? Uh, some people say you at least have to give a sign. In, in law, there's a thing called adverse possession. If you yes. if people occupy your house and no one makes a claim on it after ten years, it's like okay, it's your house. It's you've 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 have uh, uh, homesteaded it because no one made a counterclaim. Yeah. So yeah. at least you have to make a claim on your on your on your person and your property. On the other hand, um, people who are morally enlightened might say something like, "Yes, I understand," and, and I, I even understand the argument that unless you you repulse violators of the non-aggression principle, it'll only encourage them. So from a utilitarian perspective, yeah, you know, maybe we should punish people who do this. But from another perspective, you know, from a higher perspective, maybe even a Christian perspective, um, you forgive these people. And um, even though they want to visit harm upon you, you don't want to visit the same degree of harm upon them. And you say, okay, the lesser evil is for them just to take my stuff. Yeah, I think you can say that. I think you can say that. As as long as long without necessarily devaluing yourself, because you are committing yourself to a higher goal, and I I think that's a legitimate position. Hmm. I'm not I'm not sure I agree with it. Uh, my view is well, I mean everybody has their own view, but I I think evil is a real thing. Um, some people don't, but I think I think if you do decide it's a real thing then you have to be a bit strict about it. That's, yes. that's my view. But not everybody thinks it's a real thing. Yeah. And if you don't, a consistent position is, is just keep being nice all the time. <laughs> yeah, and things will work out. Well, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's, often, it's often a good rule for small things. Like if you're having an argument with somebody, <laughs> suppose somebody <laughs> shouts at you and you're like, answer. okay, okay, look, you're shouting at me, but I'm not going to return your anger with anger. Yes. That's sort of self-control, constructive response, and it's better because then you don't get into this like big fight and things calm down and it's better, right? That's that's yeah. just being civilized. Yeah. Um, but for serious stuff, you know, like the tax man is appearing on your doorstep. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's uh, not follow. Let's not follow that logic to its conclusion. But, but someone's, <laughs> someone's predating you. Um, yeah. Don't you have every right to re- repel them? For most purposes, most people most people think you do, and yeah. you probably should. And to have anything that endures, and certainly, if, if, like if someone attacked your kids, for example, or your parents, it's like I'm not even thinking about this. It just it just it doesn't matter anymore. I, yeah. If I have to, I will do whatever is necessary. I remember this case where the the card player, uh, poker player David Skolansky, had someone like some somebody asked him philosophically like what would you do if someone broke into your home what would you do and he was like well i just let him take the stuff like it's not worth risking my life to try to fight them off or something like that That's and they were like mm. yeah <laughs> yeah and he, he's a very pragmatic guy this is a guy he wrote uh the theory of poker so it was very oh like, yeah, yeah statistical and probability and all this stuff <laughs> and and everybody was like yeah, right. He's, he's so bluffing. I, yeah, exactly. But then it happened to him. Yeah. And that's exactly what he did. He's like, all right, well, I'm your, I'll, I'll be your, your host 
whatever you want, <laughs> go ahead and take it. You want me to, you know, you're going to tie me up and sit me on the couch. Just go ahead. And he, <laughs> that would be very uh, disconcerting for, for a criminal. It's like, hang on, the script, <laughs> the script is not going as, as I thought, you know? <laughs> yes. You know, it's just like, ugh, that's... It's difficult to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I wanted to ask, I don't, I don't know if you want to answer this, but have you ever met a psychopath or a, 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 like a hardcore poku curante in real life? Yes, I have. And, and uh, from a full disclosure perspective, at least, at least my, main, my interest in this has been piqued by meeting those people and uh, trying to make sense of what's going on. Because, again, you have this incapacity to grok uh, exactly what they are. But because I'm this curious-minded and I'm a psychologist, I want to, I want to figure out what that is. Um, and also, you, you want to get a handle on it. it. It is kind of a disturbing reality, and you want to get a handle on it. So, yeah, that's, 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 that's what happened. And uh, I guess I don't want to uh, reveal too many details. Um, okay. <laughs> but uh, I'll, I'll say one or two things. So, right, in, yeah. in the case in the case of one of them, um, they had a name, um, and they, they, told, they were someone of, of repute. Or, or uh, no, not not of repute. No, <laughs> no. A, a okay. bit a and a little bit feckless. But okay. they had a name, um, but they said that their name was actually this was a this was a female. Their name that they'd been given was actually a male name, but they wanted to have a female name. So they asked me, would you mind not calling me by my given name, the male name, but call me by the female name, the one that, that I want. So it actually reminds me a little bit about, you know, re, you know respect my pronouns. Um, but I looked it up, right? Yeah. And it turned out that, that the name that they had was a female name already. But more oh. disturbingly, more disturbingly, the name they wanted me to call them was a male name. Okay. Well, that's... Now, right. now what's going on? I'm like, it, what's it, going on here? Territory, like, would uh, names like Tracy used to be a male name, Hillary, and these yeah. other things. No, it, it was not sort of thing. So okay. this person actually was foreign. So uh, uh, it uh, wasn't immediately uh, apparent to me that the name was that way. Um, but I looked it up, and that wasn't the case. So what's going on here? So they have a name, and it's perfectly gender-appropriate. Um, there's not a problem with it. But they tell me, no, it's gender-inappropriate. And then they try and get me to use the gender, really the gender-inappropriate name. Okay. What, and, and just lying to me like that. Wh- why? Wh- what instrumental purpose is served? <laughs> what have they gained? What have they gained? They, they, so you're, you're, you're absolutely honest. sure that... No, there's no, no ambiguity about this. She knew that they, it was the other way around. Absolutely. No, <laughs> no dispute about this. Uh, so th- this is the pathological lying thing, right? Yeah. Firstly, there's no point. There's absolutely no point. I mean, what is yeah. the point? It's just sheer, it's sheer perversity, right? It's lying for the sake of lying. It's fucking with somebody for the sake of fucking with somebody for no, for no material gain. Right. That's, so that's is, what it is. That's 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 so deeply. I mean, it, it's yeah. a, it's not as if it's pathological. Like I want to take over the world and I have a plan. It's like it's so petty. 
Yes. It's so petty. The, what's, the hardest thing to understand about it is like going to all this trouble just to be this petty. You haven't achieved anything, nothing. But that's how superficial they are. The, the, the hallmark is, is sheer superficiality. They don't, they don't really have, unlike other, like we have commitments. We're committed to the truth or reality or libertarianism or, or whatever. We have some sort of commitments, right? But they don't have any. So the result is a lot of their behavior just goes nowhere. It's just it's just flippant and meaningless and and just pointlessly spiteful. Like what you know? <laughs> well, this is like the other thing you told me yeah. when we spoke about this the other day. You said about how they identify with certain statements, like "I am everybody and nobody." Yeah, this is a really odd thing, right? So one of the things I want to do is try and characterize the nature of the Pocahontas person, right? Because it's fascinating. You want, you want to get a grip. So, well, what makes a person do this sort of thing? Like, it doesn't make any sense. Now, the, the approach standardly in psychology and psychology these days is to, you know, try and measure people on all these dimensions and say, it's this dimension, that dimension. There's, there's more constructive approaches too that try to say, well, they've disorder in processing emotion, that sort of thing. But I kind of, I kind of want to go a little bit a little bit deeper into it and, and, and sort of characterize, you know, what's going on. What is, what is going on in, 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 in these cases? Can, can we sort of give, give a, a general characterization of it? So that, that's what I've tried to do with, with this, this model, right? Is to try to say people, you know, just, just don't care, don't care about these things because they just don't have a commitment, not just to other people. And that's, that's typical, but, but to the truth and, and to the future. So that's that's sort of what I'm trying to do um, in, in giving you know giving this characterization. So when, when this person said said these 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 things to me, like what 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 is she doing? Well, no commitment. I mean, it, it doesn't achieve any instrumental goal. It's just here and, and she now. She kind of did have a commitment because she followed through with it, right? Because she she was like, no, please call me this other name. Um, it was something that was said at one point, and there wasn't really much follow through. Ah, okay. to be honest. Ah, okay, okay. So it wasn't as if in future, I, I always, yeah, that, right? So it, <laughs> it might be like no, every, she strictly enforced this rule, but it was just something that was off the cuff at one point. I'm like, what the hell? I see. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so it, it was kind. Of, it was kind of bizarre in that sense. So, what was the other point you made? I've, uh, I've, I've. What was the point About you made the, after that? The statement said people. Yeah. The statement, yes, the statement, yes. Okay. So to give this general characterization, part of what I want to do is I think it's a problem of identity, right? I think the problem isn't that, look, you've got a specific deficit, say, in your emotional processing. Like you don't process fear stimuli as well. I think it's a general problem, a general problem of integration. So if it's a general problem of integration, it should manifest itself at the level of selfhood, a level of identity generally. Because that's where everything comes together. Who I am, my experience of myself as a whole, as a gestalt, that's identity. So we should find deficits in identity among people who poke around or people who are psychopaths. So I'm like, okay, let's think of some dimensions of identity. Well, there are two dimensions. One is right here, right now, you see yourself in a certain way. You've a self-concept, uh, you make sense of yourself. We're going to call that synchronic identity, S-Y-N. So in the moment, right here, right now, everything comes together at the same moment, all at the same time, synchronic. But there's also diachronic identity, which is identity over time. 
who you are in the past is who you are in the future is who you are in the present. And you identify equally with these. Hmm. Now, probably um, you'll get deficits in diachronic identity because let's suppose I'm only interested in impulsively doing something now. I don't really care about my future self. My future self can go to hell, you know? I'm never going to brush my teeth and my future self where all my teeth fall out, they can go to hell. But if I'm conscientious and think about the future, it's, it's me, me, me now is me in the future, right? That's, that's the way of thinking about it. So if psychopaths are not like that, if, if they're pochicurante for the future and we know they're impulsive, um, they will have a defect in their diachronic identity. So we'll find less consistency over time. But we also, maybe even in synchronic identity, there's going to be a deficit. That, well, this is where it gets, it gets a little bit metaphorical again. But if I'm not committed to other people, the future, or to the truth, it's almost like I'm not really there. So going back to the point we started with about um, vampires and, and uh, shape-shifting interdimensional lizards, they're not really they're not really fully embodied and, and instantiated like we are here. They're like they're like these demons that they're you know they're like spirits that are possessing a body like a vessel, but mm. they're not really in there. Okay, it's I'm, like, not, I'm not it, endorsing it's demonology. Capricorn playing with the letters and it's like, oh, what does this thing do? <laughs> it, it's something like that, but yeah. they're not really they're not really fully present. They ha- they haven't. I would say they haven't fully materialized as human beings because if they did they would start being committed to other people committed to the future future products committed to the truth but it's almost like they're not really there so they can sort of play you know it's like they haven't become fully materialized Hmm. now that's that's a very vague notion but it's something like that i think this accounts for why they're they seem so alien you go eventually you get to know what they're like and it's like you get the feeling there's a vacuum there's nothing there behind those dark eyes that that there's something missing that, that these things you take for granted, existentially being human, it's, it's just you know, disconcertingly absent and they feel alien and you're looking into the sort of abyss. It's like, what, you know, why are you saying that to me? Like, what isn't stopping you from saying bullshit stuff like that? So they are, they are a bit bullshitty. And, and bullshit is not the same as lying. So uh, uh-huh. there's, a, there's a philosopher called... Um, What's his name? Uh, come back to me. But he has, a, he has a book, Harry Frankfurt, a respected philosopher. He has a book called On Bullshit, a very small book. And he discusses, he discusses the concept of bullshit. And he says, bullshit is not like ordinary lying. When you lie, usually a lie is pretty serious. Okay, so I'm lying to you uh, because, you know, I want to defraud you, or I'm lying to you because I have a terrible secret. But bullshit is different. Bullshit is just, I don't care about the difference between the truth and lying. So I'm just going to bullshit you. So it's that like, Pocacurante about the difference between truth and reality, right? And this, this is kind of where I got my idea. I, I put together the Frankfurt notion. And I think this is what's going on with psychopaths. You know, I was being bullshitted when, about this person's name, right? For no reason. It's, it's just like, I don't, I don't care. I, I don't care. It's, it's 360 degrees different from the truth. I'm just bullshitting you, right? <laughs> um, when, when you ask them about their identity then, right? What I'm thinking is they don't really have one because they're not really like when I think about myself, I have some fairly clear cut ideas about how I am and I'm sort of committed to them. Yes. Now the self is a big mystery. I have no idea what I am existentially in the final analysis, whatever, but you know, who I am sort of matters to me. <laughs> it sounds very egotistical, but, but like it does, uh, um, 
and also in a non-egotistical sense. Like I don't want to be, I don't want to be a hard person. I want to be this type of, you know, I've an ideal self, uh, the self I, I feel obliged to be. So I think these are all kind of missing in, in, in the psychopath, but it's hard to get at it because they will just say things. Like they'll say, you know, do you believe that love, the universe is all about love? Yeah. yeah. Like it's so easy to say stuff. And because they're bullshitters and it doesn't really matter, they can say stuff often better than other people can and be very, very convincing because there's nothing holding them back. Like if you tell me, okay, you know, tell me, Aiden, what's, what's the truth about, about, you know, psychopathy or, or the landscape? If I was poking around to him, like, let me tell you, Kurt, you know, this is how it is. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people think it's like this, but you know, they don't know what to talk about. It's like this. I'm just, I'm overflowing with all, with all the, all this certainty and, and narcissism. But actually, that's not me. I'm like, this is a difficult situation. I'm going to level with you, Kurt. You know, like this, this does my head in, and it, there's no simple solutions. You know, no, you know, ain't nobody got time for that shit because, like, that's it's very complicated. <laughs> that's not that's not the message people typically want to hear. It's like, no, right. no it's X, Y, and Z, and that's how it is. And uh, there's some virtue okay. in keeping it simple, right? So that's why uh, that's why bullshit can work, I guess. Because yes, gives, yeah. So they yeah. they they can bullshit effectively, but. Hmm. Again, the, the Pokekaranti person has a problem with themselves because they're not committed to the distinction between truth and error. Now, sometimes, again, they will be instrumental. They will lie. They'll, they'll, they'll have a, a con. But, but also, it's just like they don't really give a shit. Like, truth, lies, whatever. How would it apply to themselves? Right. From, I think it's from Mark Twain or somebody. And he says, it's so much easier to tell the truth because that way I don't have to keep track of all my lies. That's right. In this case, it's like they don't care about keeping track of it. Just say whatever you know. A new yeah. situation comes up, just yeah. say whatever comes into your mind, and it doesn't matter if you consist. That's right. It's a, <laughs> it's a totally instrumental view of truth, right? Hmm. Essentially, the truth is whatever works. Now, disturbingly, um, Jordan Jordan B. Peterson he sometimes asks questions about the nature of truth, but he came out recently. He said, you know, the, the thing about like lies is that you know they just don't work and that's not really the distinction between truth and falsity right it's it's like if you're going to reduce truth and falsity to what's effective well if you're a politician you tell a lie it's effective that doesn't make it true i mean it, it, it's lack of correspondence to reality that makes makes it false or correspondence reality makes it true Okay, so just to, yeah. what about well, the right work in the short term, and I guess they they might work two terms for a lot of politicians. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. but lies lies are fun can be functional. So so, yes. the, so the utility argument just fails terribly. It, it, you know, it's about correspondence reality. You know, hmm. I've often seen many philosophers say, "Well, truth is hard to define, and how do you define the correspondence?" You know, because you have to specify both terms and how they line up, and it's it's difficult to do that. You know. Because how can you specify reality independently of the proposition? They, they bring up lots of complexities, fair enough. But at the end of the day, you know, a statement is true if it corresponds to reality. Like, you just can't get away. If you start getting away from that, you're in real trouble. Anyway, psych- psychopaths might not care about those things. So, so, so suppose they give an account of themselves. Who are you? Who are you? They don't know. They don't really care. And, and, and they could be a person one day from the next. So that was this would be the Machiavellian side. They they can um, present a persona that works in various situations precisely because there's nothing inside holding that persona back. Like I could pretend to be this person, that person, um, 
but it's kind of difficult for me. Like, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm always truthful, but I am saying I've, I actually have difficulty telling lies. Like, because I'm just like, I'm saying this thing. It doesn't correspond to reality. And that's just no good. <laughs> They're like, no, no problem. Reality, reality, shmeality. I'll say this, I'll say that. So when they give an account of themselves, their own identity, who are they? Now, here's the answer, I think. They're not anybody, if it's extreme. They, they, there's no one thing that they are. I think I am this. I have this feeling of distance about myself. They don't have this feeling of, they're like, there's nothing there to relate to. So we ask some questions to try and get at deficits in synchronic identity. Okay. And I just on a whim, I, 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 that's, I put in these weird things like, I am everybody and nobody. Hmm. Or I am a mystery to which there's no solution. Now, in some metaphorical sense, those, those could be true. I, I think, for example, I am a mystery to which there's no solution. But that's, a, it's, I think, in a philosophically complex way. But I am everybody and nobody. Maybe I'm taking a hardcore psychedelic drug, and it's true. But <laughs> under nor- normal circumstances, um, I'm like, I'm not everybody, nobody. I'm just, this is who I am. So we call this crypticity from the word cryptic. That okay. it's just sort of, it's not no, hiddenness and oddity and, you know, you can't figure it out or it's it's just doing your head. It's like, doesn't mean anything. So we find that when people score highly on these dark triad traits or measures of psychopathy, they're higher in crypticity. So if I say things like, it doesn't really bother me when I hurt other people, answers on that question like that correlate positively with, I'm a mystery to which there's no solution. Isn't that weird? Uh, so I think we'll actually be honest about that. About <laughs> well, you don't know if they're being honest or not. This is one of the problems. You know, like right. this thing, I never tell lies. <laughs> right yeah you know? uh okay but but you know the funny thing is that you know it, it actually works both ways because if i don't really care i was just going to tell anyway <laughs> right if if i want to give socially desirable responses i'm the sort of person who's interested in being socially desirable whereas if you ask me you know do you enjoy torturing sh- small animals in your spare time um if I don't really, if I don't care enough not to torture the animals, I'm probably not going to care of not not to tell you. <laughs> so <laughs> they're not necessarily hiding, and these are anonymous questionnaires. But but it, I mean, it is it is a problem. How do you, how do you get beyond it? Um, ultimately, you can't get completely beyond it. Yeah. So we find we find anyway the strange the strange and this correlation only makes sense. I mean, it does. I mean, you wouldn't predict it normally. It's it's not it's not obvious that people who endorse items that suggest that who they are is this this odd, cryptic, mysterious thing. Are the same people statistically? I mean, not, not always the same, but there's a correlation between the people who endorse these psychopathic items. Um, so that suggests that there's something weird going on. Now, we, we, this research is preliminary, and we're, we want to do a bigger study with different measures of psychopathy and different dimensions, mm-hmm. and see what matters. One thing I think that we may find is the boldness dimension people having this fearless dominance, that's probably going to be associated with, with maybe a more definite identity. But other stuff, maybe, maybe not, not associated with that. Yeah, so what, what I, what I, I guess what I was trying to do is try to give an account of psychopathy at a higher level of analysis, or Pokecarantism at a higher level of analysis to see, to see what's going on. A lot of it's very reductionistic. They're trying to say, well, <clears throat> you got your, you got your psychopath, and they have this deficit here, or they have this issue with the brain here. 
But I think there's still more mileage to be given in trying to give an overall account of it. And if you go back and read books like Cleckley's The Mask of Sanity, that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to, he's trying to give an overall account of it um, in general terms. And I, I, th- I think that's something that you're not really seeing a lot in the modern uh, scientific literature. It's more like little debates about exactly how much of this trait is there or, you know, they've difficulty processing fear and, and different types of emotions. So, you know, I, I, there's, there's mileage to be got it. You've got to fill in different pieces of the picture, but you know, looking identity can be useful, but it's also very challenging because again, if you ask somebody like, who are you, are you everything and nothing? (laughs) There are a lot of reasons to be skeptical about the sorts of answers they give. (laughs) <laughs> like firstly yeah. if you feel you're everything or nothing are you really everything or nothing and and secondly how do you know if you're everything or nothing or not um <laughs> well i don't i mean i'm not sure if a, yeah i'm not sure if a poker currante would think about it on that level i mean <laughs> they they just see the statement and be like hmm, yeah i'm kind of like that and maybe they give yeah. you a full answer if you're lucky yeah so it's very it is hard to look at identity as well, but we we hopefully will find that we find identity deficits. So, for example, if we ask people about their identity one day, and then um, you uh, um, you ask them on a, on a different day, if you have more fluctuations from one to the other, then you know you can sort of objectively show there there are changes over time. Um, there's an interesting test for identity or description of identity where you simply um, um, you ask people say who are you and they they answer in ten or twenty questions say and you can say whatever you want so if I ask you Kurt who are you what what are some of the things you would say just give well, me two or three I'm a musician a podcaster I'm a nice person. Okay. So the things you mentioned, you, you could extend that list indefinitely, but the first things you mention are clearly going to be things that are important to your identity, right? Hmm. Um, if, if psychopaths don't have such important things, then there may be less consistency in the list they come up with, for example. And that's something you can document more objectively. You see? Whereas if you're committed to something, you know, you're committed to being a nice person, um, that'll come up a lot. Now, of course, you know, they might be able to play the system it's a bit tricky, but still you might, you might have some evidence of, of identity deficit like that, that if they don't know it's about this and they take part in a study on repeated occasions and you find more fluctuation in how they self-define, you're like, well, why are they self-defining in these different ways from day to day? Don't they have some identity that's enduring that, well, there we are. You start, you start, start be able to get at that idea. Well, that's, that's interesting. You know, sometimes, applying for jobs, they would give me these tests and that they're sort of like personality tests and that ostensibly they're meant to measure morality. So they ask you questions like everybody kind of takes uh, a pen from the office every now and then, do you agree (laughs) one to five or something like that? And they'd, they'd always say at the start of the test, be sure to tell the truth because this test is designed to see if you're lying or something like that. It sounds, it sounds like a mind fuck, doesn't it? It's like, what should you do? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I always just told the truth and hope for the best. <laughs> I mean, sometimes you have, you have to admit that you 
take a sick day occasionally or I don't know what. But, <laughs> but, I'm, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the optimal score you would want from that test would be for an employer. Yeah, because right? if you get a perfect score, right. you look like a liar. <laughs> right. So it seems like you'd probably want a not quite perfect score. But mm. then you would be aware that any intelligent person would figure this out and, ha- and have the same thoughts we've just had. So you're like, actually now, the person who gives that score is probably the person who's gaming the system. And, and you have this infinite regress of, of, <laughs> of you know, uh, reciprocal psychology or something. I, I don't know. So... My, my belief is that those tests are not particularly useful. Um, <laughs> well, maybe not. What but I would do is I would, I would just leave 10p on the desk you know, <laughs> after the interview, and if it's still there, you get the hardest guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, my, my thought is maybe you could use something like that to see, to see the level of consistency that people have and the, the beliefs or they, their identity if you have these, you know, 100 questions to see how consistently people answer. Yeah, it's a, it's a little bit tricky. Um, they, because, because they're not caring about stuff, hmm. they may end up giving brazen answers. But on the other hand, to the extent that they want to manipulate you, they may give the answers they think you want to hear. So it, you yeah. can have two contrary tendencies pushing in opposite directions so that it end, end, ends up being a wash, you know? So, well, that raises an interesting question too because they, they do ha- actually have a mask. Like, they will have a consistent identity for maybe an hour or something while you meet them. Or, and maybe every time you meet them, they'll try to be the same person. Right. But in different situations, when they meet different people, they'll just put on a different mask, Right. Yeah. So again, it's it's difficult to generalize in all cases, and you have you have graduations. So um, there's an interesting personality variable uh, developed in in the personality and social psychology field, uh, and it's slightly misnamed, but it's called self monitoring. And people are high in self monitoring or low in self monitoring to some degree. A high self monitor is somebody who's very keenly and typically aware of how they are going down in a social setting. So they're aware of the impressions they're making and keen to make a good impression. Such people are uh, big on appearance, um, big on seeming you know, to look well. So your yuppie or your preppy, they're going to be high in self-monitoring. At the opposite end, then you have people low in self-monitoring. It's really self-in-a-situation self monitoring. That's why it's a slight misnomer. But someone low in self-monitoring what they're always keen to do is to be authentic. They want to express their inner values more. And this uh, personality variable was first investigated in respect of the link between attitudes and behavior. And what they found was people low in self-monitoring who are always keen to be true to their inner values showed a higher link between their attitudes and their behavior. But people higher in self-monitoring who are basically more contextually sensitive, kind of like social chameleons, who are changing what they say to fit the context, the link for them between attitude and behavior was a bit lower. So uh, that's sort of why the interest got into it. But that sounds a little bit like what the mask that psychopaths are producing, but maybe not quite as as intense. Hmm. Um, So it sounds also a little bit like Machiavellianism, 
where you're manipulating people, most probably by projecting a certain certain identity. Yeah, but it is also a kind of empathic trait, isn't it? Because you want to relate to people more and emphasize different things to to get along with people. Yes. So this this is an interesting question. You know. So, I mean, why do we wear clothes? Keep keep warm. But it's also to keep up appearances, and also so we're not embarrassed all the time. Um, we 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 certain we keep up appearances socially, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so we wear clothes to that. But then we could also focus on our appearance and make ourselves look nicer for other people. Um, there are different opinions about how much you should do that. If you look at people on on the right wing and the left wing, for example, um, I think on average you see differences. The left wing are more rag 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 drag tag, and the right wing are sort of you know we polish the buttons on our uniforms. I think you can sort of see this this difference uh, coming out a little bit. Um, but uh, yes, I, I think I mean we do also change our opinion for other people. So I think the point you're trying to make is that you know you might say it's, it's good to be authentic all the time and just reflect how I'm feeling. But actually, it, it can be adaptive to adjust yourself to other people for their benefit. That's actually a pro-social thing to do. Yeah. You know, although it it might seem it's like the superficial thing to do, but it's it's almost like you can have a certain depth in superficiality if if you're if you're you know keeping up appearances. I, I think the mod, the modern trend is to be more relaxed about things like that, um, including in things like using honorifics. Like my students very rarely say you know Dr. Greg in emails. They'll say hi, Aiden. Uh, even the first time they've met me, and a student came up the other day and said. Um, Professor Greg, I'm like I was shocked. Like, oh my god, I, I, I can't take this level of respect. Um, you know. Uh, so why do we do that? Well, it's it's a way just of it's social graces, right? And uh, it's keeping appearances. The older I get, the more I think things like that are are, are kind of important, um, just to help us regulate ourselves socially. Um, yeah. So that that is one thing you do find in these people that. Often, often and okay, and this is not another point I think is important, is that people are often very taken by psychopaths. You can be taken in very effectively by them. Mm-hmm. Um, con men are often a little bit psychopathic. Why? Um, well, they must have something that really is very, very appealing. Like the appearance must be, the mask must be something that's very satisfying, something that has a strange allure. Now, this may, may only be a subset, but I think I, I have a theory about this as well. So my, my theory is that human beings are kind of complex creatures ridden with lots of contradictions. Um, we have our lizard brain, we have our emotional brain, then we have a cortex on top. And these guys, you know, they're not always in harmony. So I think Freud was right about that. He was right to draw attention to the fact that our mind is often in conflict. We have impulses, but we also have to constrain our impulses. And that's, that can be annoying. But what I think you see, I think psychopaths are simpler creatures than regular human beings. They're, they're simpler. My suggestion is that the reason why they're often so compelling is that it's almost like they're mainstreaming, or not mainstream, but, but sort of directly streaming basic human energy. It's almost like to, to be a civilized person, you have to, you have to take, this is, this is kind of Freudian, I guess, but you have to take your impulse of energy, not all of which is bad. So it's not, it's not completely forwarding, but you, you have to manage it and you have to put it through certain channels and you have to make some compromises. You have to strike some deals, but with the psychopath, because they haven't made any deep commitments to the future, to other people or even to themselves or to the truth, you sort of see 
um, human energy or impulse in the raw. And it, ha- it has this uh, compulsive and addictive and delicious character to it. And we can, we can, you know, if you look at, look at lower animals, for example, they, they don't have all the conflicts human beings do. You know, they, they're guided by instinct. Uh, they essentially act on impulse. The dog doesn't say, well, I'll leave my dinner till later or, you know, I'm watching my figure. <laughs> he doesn't, you know, he's a simpler creature. He's living in the now. He's living in the moment. I, I think psychopaths are creatures of the now and the moment. And there's something, there's something in their energy which... Um, which is appealing and may even have, you know, great sort of, great sort of value, at least for a limited time. And, and people, people are turned on to that. They, they, they can't help responding to it because it's, it just, it's, it's just sort of raw. So it's almost like processed sugar or something, right? Hmm. Um, in evolutionary history, to get some sugar, you know, had to have a banana, but, but the sugar was integrated with the rest of the constituents. But then someone makes like, you know, pure sugar, or you can make the same argument about the cocoa leaf and cocaine, you know, oh, the pure cocaine, it's much better than chewing that leaf, you know, I thought the leaf was good, but this stuff, my God, it's, it's, it's so direct. So it's, it's almost like they're purified. Hmm. And I think the analogy goes further, right? It's, it, it can be great. You get that high, but it's addictive and it's going to destroy your life probably. And right? it's, it's just completely empty. It's no nutrition. And it's empty. Value. Yeah. <laughs> it, there's no nutritional value. Very good. Yes. And also it's not hooked into anything else. Like you take the drug and it, it, the drug isn't, isn't linked into a series of goals. Like, like, so let's suppose I'm, I'm, you're a musician, right? You'll get a high from performing and you'll get a high from struggling to work at a piece and, and do very well. But that's linked into this part of your life that you're developing it's, it's hooked into it. But if you take a drug, well, I'm just activating that dopamine center in my brain and it's, it's not linked to anything else. So the psychopath's a bit like that. It can be very compelling and compulsive and, and even addictive, but it's not linked to any, any life goals. And indeed, it's, it's, it's contrary to li- those life goals. But I think to understand why they, they sometimes work, you have to give an account of that. And I think it's, it's, they're giving you humanity, you know, something less than humanity almost uniting us with, with the simpler aspects of our nature in this very direct way. And that, that's what accounts for that, that magic that they, can, that, can, that they can create. So, you know, yeah. So do you think that psychopaths and Pocahontas can actually teach us something deeper about humanity because it's like this simplified version of humanity? Yes, I think so. Here's, here's another analogy that occurred to me. So someone's walking down the street and... Um, because we were talking about bananas, there's a banana skin on the ground and they step in it and they fall over it and they slip on a banana skin. This is actually hilarious. <laughs> um, firstly, because it's, you know, that's the joke, but you've never seen it happen. But actually, they are extremely slippy and the person falls over. And for a moment, you're like, that is the funniest thing ever. And then you're like, no, they've injured themselves. You're like, oh my God. Oh, uh, uh. <laughs> right. I, I really feel... Being a psychopath is not having the secondary reaction, <laughs> right? Mm. Um, so yes, but that 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 fun, that joy, that that directness that you get when something funny happens, I would say the first part of that is is actually a little bit psychopathic. It's it's all about the energy, all about the joke. It's just for the psychopath, the joke never stops, um, and that's very very superficial, you know. The other thing I think is. Um, there are some things that are funny for us because they're so bad. So there's a terrible joke. It's like, um, what did the child 
the one-legged child um, who'd lost both parents get for Christmas? Cancer. Cancer. <laughs> right? Now, yeah. now is it, why is that funny? <laughs> it's actually funny because it's tragic. Yeah. And when we tell the joke, we're like, oh, we shouldn't laugh at that. And that's exactly what makes it funny. I think for a psychopath, they wouldn't find that joke especially funny. Right. Because they don't, they don't identify with the tragedy inherent in the joke that makes it ironic. So it's, a, it's not really been fully studied, but I would maintain Pocahontas people can't appreciate irony because to appreciate irony, you need to appreciate the depth, right? To Gallo's humor is like, well, there is tragedy in life, and that's why we laugh about it. Hmm. But the psychopath doesn't appreciate the tragedy, so they can't, they can't have the, the comedy. The the Irish poet Patrick Cavanagh said that tragedy is underdeveloped comedy, <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, um, and that's that's kind of right in the sense that there are some types of humor that are dependent on the appreciation of tragedy. Um, so the psychopath might you know like might find you know sadism makes them giddy. Someone slips on a banana skin and you know they're hurt. That's really funny. Um, uh, but yeah, so. I think you're right. I think it does help us appreciate something about us. Um, and I think that what it helps us appreciate is what makes us human. Um, the, the bit on top of, of you know, the chuckle we have when someone is on a banana skin or why we find Gallo's human, hu- humor funny because we recognize these, these serious things. And I think the reason we do is we're committed to them. We're committed to life, committed to others, committed to the future, committed to the truth. These things matter. Um, and the psychopath is sort of, is giving us humanity without, without being fully human. And I, I think we do have this experience. Um, and that's, that's, I think that's quite a profound thing, you know. Um, yeah. It often surprises me. Like, there's so many things in the psychopath that are working correctly. But it just, it doesn't all come together into something we'd say, well, that's just, that's humane. That, 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 that's, that's so, you know, that's human. That's uh, such a human. The feeling is it's all the parts are there, but this, this, this doesn't quite stick together. You know, that's the feeling. So, but again, in, in saying that there's something, something of value, it might be nice to say that, you know, we're dealing with things that are very bad and we must oppose it's evil and all this sort of stuff. And I, I think that's true, but yeah, life is complicated. They're, they also, I, I think, do give us a sign about like raw energy, chaotic energy. Um, now we have to take that and turn it into something good. Okay, so Jung would say, you know, you've got the shadow, but maybe the shadow is like is like energy that isn't fully directed. You know, so I, I think even in, in quite pathological psychopaths, you do have these sides to them that are compelling. I mean, why do people find you know serial murderers and cult leaders compelling? They're really horrid people. But I think it's because I think this needs to be explained. I think it's because they're mainlining this energy that we don't normally get in its raw form as human beings, and that's initially very attractive to them. It's 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 sort of like psychic cocaine. Mm-hmm. These people have this compelling power. I think typically I'm I'm quite immune to it. I, I find a lot of people getting. I, I I guess maybe anarchists have have this experience too. We see a lot of people getting excited about you know, a lot of people like politicians and, and we're like, you know, gee, <laughs> that's a bit sad, you know, uh, <laughs> why is everybody jumping on these bandwagons? You know, it's, it seems, I don't know what you see in the guy, frankly. Um, yeah, that's the nature of charm, the, the nature of allure, the nature of, um, 
uh, yeah, that, that, that people can exert. Um, but that might be what it is. So it's just like in the same way we need to understand that we, we can develop addictions to things like sugar and we need to fight against it or understand. That doesn't mean that we can't enjoy a delicious dessert or that dessert is intrinsically bad. But it does mean that it'll rot our teeth if we, if we, if we do a lot of it and if it's not so properly integrated. You know? Yeah, so if we have yeah. politicians like working as a cleaner in <laughs> in the government building instead of running the show, <laughs> maybe things will work out better. <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, I think I think so. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to press like, press subscribe. Remember to check out the Multiversity Podcast, the multiversitypodcast.com. So it's a new podcast for exploring higher dimensional learning. When we talk about a lot of interesting subjects, we're trying to be intellectually rigorous while exploring ideas like physics, quantum mechanics, entropy, theater, improvisation, and the mask that we wear, the shape of the ego, the sense of the self. (laughs) So I hope you check it out, multiversitypodcast.com. Thank you so much. Take care.